Once upon a time, in a land of podcasts, there was a motley crew of podcasters named Mackenzie Horner the Ginger and Autumn Smith the Canadian B. Arthur, John Adams of Musical Theater, the Lady of Muskoka, the Good Stepmother. So, hello everybody and welcome to Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. We are here today at the opening of season three. We ended season two only a few weeks ago with our discussion on Rent. And now we are diving back into our childhood, back into the time of dragons and princesses and giants and, and, and um, wolves. Yes, and wolves. To discuss what, Autumn? What are we discussing? Into the woods. Yes, into the woods, out of the woods, and home before dark. But how am I ever to get to the festival? I know, I'll visit Mother's grave, the grave of the willow tree, and tell her I just want to go to the king's festival. Into the woods, it's time to go. It may be all in vain, I know. Into the woods, but even so, I have to take the journey. Into the woods, the path is straight, you know it well. But who can tell? Into the woods to lift the spell. Into the woods to visit Mother. Into the woods to sell the cow. To get the money to go to the festival. Into the woods to grandmother's house. Into the woods to grandmother's house. The way is clear, the light is good. I have no fear, nor no one should. The woods are just trees, the trees are just wood. No need to be afraid, there's something in the glade there. That's right. I wish. Yes. That's right. We are talking all about the Sondheim and Lapine collaboration uh, musical. That re- that is one of, that is the most produced Sondheim musical of his entire canon. Actually, funny enough, uh, yes, we are talking about Into the Woods, and that is not all. Last uh, season, I was able to hop onto another podcast for our first collaboration, all about Sondheim, and that was with the wonderful podcast hosted by Kyle Marshall. That is putting it together where we talked about too many mornings from Follies. Don't worry, we will get to Follies. That is on our episode list to cover. Uh, But today we have Kyle joining us to talk about another Sondheim show. One that he hasn't reached yet in his chronological trug through the entire Sondheim canon. But yes, here he is. We're we're, we're getting him a little bit early. So this is kind of like his warm up to doing this later on. Yeah, this is uh, the preview. I guess, because mm. I think I will not be getting to Into the Woods. I'm going to guess for another year and a half. I think it's probably when <laughs> I'll be starting. Also, I think even two years. I haven't done the math yet. And all that good well, stuff. Well, I mean, by the time you finish Follies and then you got to do whatever, whatever, one's come, whatever, whatever comes next. A little I mean, night music. Got little yeah. night music. A little night music. Pacific Overtures. Frogs. Yeah, Sunday, Sunday has park. to happen first. Actually, he says Sweeney Todd has to happen first, too. So this actually might be over two years, yes, <laughs> before I get to Into the Woods. Yes. Right now, in your, in your, in your order, Sondheim is still hanging out with Hal Prince. He has yet Correct, to... Yeah. He has yet to do Merrily We Roll Along and end their friendship for exactly. a few years, at least. Exactly. Autumn's favorite Sondheim show that killed that friendship dead <laughs> on arrival. The, like, the it was... Tw- 
the 12 total productions of Merrily We Roll Along. Yes. yes. So Kyle, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your podcast? Mm-hmm. Give us a bit of a rundown on kind of how it came to be and just kind of what it's been like for you going through the entire Sondheim canon. Like, talk mm-hmm. about taking on a, like a big task. Yeah, so Putting It Together was a show that I developed out of sheer force of spite because I kept going to the podcast store for Apple being like, someone has got to have made a show about Stephen Sondheim. I am obsessed with the guy and have been since I was a teenager. And I wanted to listen to a show where people talked about his work. And definitely there was interviews with certain actors and interviews with, with Stephen Sondheim himself which are always a great insight into like his um, output and like how he thinks of things. And I love those, but I wanted to deep dive. I wanted to go into them. And the more I thought about it, I was like, I would actually enjoy it if they delved into each of the songs rather than just one show, uh, not to throw your show under the bus, I just realized, <laughs> but uh, no, no, no. because I want to do deep dives in, into that sort of yeah. thing. So after doing that, and I'm not even joking, for like four or five years, I was like, fine, I'll make it myself. That's basically what it was. That was the inspiration. I didn't know how it was going to happen because I knew I didn't want to just do it by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't find a co-host at the time that was like as ridiculously obsessed with the guy as I was. Um, and so I was like, well, I think it might be more interesting anyways to have it as a different guest each episode to mm-hmm. delve into the and have a different perspective each episode. Mm-hmm. Of course, that is uh, harder to organize in my busy life, but that is what I chose to do. So, yeah, uh, Putting It Together was born September 5th of 2018, I believe, is when our original episode went up. I think I re- actually I released the first three episodes all at once. I made the decision, and this is just my decision. Uh, if you make your own podcast, you can do it your way. I decided early on to do this chronologically. Mm. And I wanted to do it chronologically so that we could go through each show as as kind of a whole. Um, I also didn't want to necessarily uh, just ask the guest which song they wanted to talk about because I knew it would probably be like mostly Sweeney Todd and Into the Woods is probably all that people would mostly want to come on for for initially. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, and I wanted it to be more fulsome than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Not only am I going through chronologically, I'm going through chronologically based on when the show was actually put on the stage. So some people have asked me, well, why didn't you start with Saturday Night, which is Sondheim's first show technically, but that was, there was never a production of that show until the 90s. So I'm waiting until the 90s come to actually talk about that show, his like first show, that sort of thing. So I started with West Side Story, uh, which he wrote the lyrics for, of course, did not write the music for, then went into Gypsy and so on and so forth. And what I have learned, what I've actually really enjoyed for myself is one, boy, do you get a better appreciation for something when you force yourself to do this type of deep dive, especially when there's different people who come on and offer different insights of like, oh, I would never have thought of that. That's really cool that you brought that into this and have me think about this in a different way. But more than that, songs that I might skip, for instance, when I'm listening to them now, when you are forced to like, here's like three or four, four different interpretations of this song that people have done. Uh, there are songs that have switched for me from songs that I didn't think I liked to being some of my favorite songs. <laughs> Just because I've been forced to listen to them over and over again and really dig, dig into them and be like, oh, there's actually way more to this song than I thought. 
at first. So I'm excited. I think when they originally did this, I was like, if I go week by week, I'm going to be done in this in five and a half years. But I have discovered that I'm going more far afield, doing some songs that you know were cut from shows. I'm doing mm -hmm. some songs that he just did one off of. I'm also a spoiler alert for people who are listening to my show. Uh, I'm talking about the films that he scored as well, or will mm. be uh, when, when I get to those as well. So I think there's more discussions to be had about his uh, entire body of work. So that's a long answer to your short question. No, that was perfect because it, it's such a cool podcast that I also was someone who was on an Apple podcast searching for a Sondheim podcast. So when I found yours, I was like, oh, thank God somebody did it. Right, right, right. <laughs> he is somebody who, as as Autumn has said, he is the Shakespeare mm -hmm. Of musical theater and therefore deserves to have that same reverence and analysis that we give to Shakespeare as we do to Sondheim because Sondheim gives us so much like even just going back through into the woods to prep for this the amount of detail and effort that was done to really hone what this modern fairy tale is so why don't we kind of dive into why this is our season three opening episode. Autumn, you and I both had this on our musical list when you and I made our initial kind of plot list of musicals we knew we really wanted to talk about. And so I put this as a kickoff to season three because I was like, it's a choice for both of us. It's a good way to start a season when we're both on the same page of a show. So why did this make your list? Um... You know why it made my list? Because it is a show that has two, it counterbalances itself mm -hmm. in a way uh, that no other musical does. The humor and the light uh, must be present for the darkness. And it just is all, it's ever, it's all of that is present all the time. And it just, it reminds me of one of my favorite authors said, uh, Sebastian Barry said, every moment of our life is born out of grief. And mm. this musical sums that up for me. And every character, no matter how minute, has that journey. And I think it just, um, in a way, so if you're looking at epic musicals in comparison mm -hmm. where you have you know characters that could be fully developed you have titanic mm -hmm. over there which <laughs> zero development of anyone's this broad stroke paintbrush mm -hmm. and you have multiple characters in into the woods that all get their moment of revelation of um, and I, I think that's, I, I think that's quite remarkable. And I think that's pretty big, you know, for such a large scale musical, like we really intimately know who these characters are. And it's also an actor's musical, mm -hmm. like, and I really appreciate Sondheim for that. So, Perfect. and, and, uh, uh, Lapine. Yes, both. I can't forget Lapine in this because he's a major integral part of this. Yes, that guy. That guy. Um, yeah, he's the uh, uh, he's the exception to the rule, as Sondheim says, because he usually says you need to have three distinct people to make a musical work: the people, mm -hmm. the, the team that's doing music and lyrics, 
the 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 choreographer and then uh or sorry the book writer and then the director and lapine is both the director and the book writer for this show yes lapine is the only person who can actually do both of those roles it's true at the same time you do with falsettos right yeah but this is this book writing i would say is way superior to falsettos oh leaps and bounds and and i have notes about that in production notes where sondheim talks about that so but yeah, I chose this because this is, as I've said way back when we did Company, my top three song times are always between Company, Sweeney, and Into the Woods. They rotate. Like, I'll say now after done my research again, that Into the Woods may have just bumped Sweeney off the top pedestal for, for, for the next little while because it's so good. I mean, for me, when I, what I love most about this is, so I, as a 90s kid, I grew up on all the Disney classics. And so growing up with these characters, I I thought it was so great that there's a musical that turns them all in their heads and explores that ever after when the storybook closes and what happens to all of them later on and, and, and the repercussions of all these. Because we all watch these stories and go, wait a minute, Jack just stole and killed somebody, but yet now he's rich and happy. What's the consequence of this? Like, what happened to the giant's wife? After he chops down the first beanstalk, what goes on? Like, like, like Cinderella, is she truly happy with the prince? Even though they've only had like three dates for like two hours a night. Like, there's all these questions you get asked. Every successful ask. relationship starts that way. So, right? <laughs> exactly. And so, it's all these questions that you have when you read these books as a kid, or, 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 or like when you revisit them when you read the original Grimm's fairy tales, like I have in my closet there i have my grim's fairy tale book i got that's full of all the grim horrible stories i mean not to yeah not to derail this podcast too much uh i bring this up occasionally i went to university and got an english degree Uh, so that's how i wasted my four years but uh the uh uh, one of those classes i took was uh children's lit and they really delve into the original and when i say original grim's fairy tales not the kind of whitewashed pc versions mm-hmm. that i think a lot mm-hmm. of us read when we grew up yep. uh yeah. you go back to the original text and most of those are so disturbing <laughs> with what they do dismemberment like sexual assault like it, they are not fun <laughs> story but oh, they were meant awful. they they are but they were meant to literally scare children into being good yes christian vessels essentially is they're they're moral tales yeah, yeah. And, and i think that's what uh what uh, probably lapine and sondheim were actually more interested in was like let us take those tales and really start to split them apart a little bit more oh absolutely absolutely and I, and this is a great musical that as you grow you become more interested in that darker elements of these stories when you're a kid watching you're like oh yeah cinderella like she gets the prince whatever happily ever after and then, like, as you get older, you become you really become to appreciate more the second act of the story, which is the repercussions. The first act is great because that's why the junior version only has the first act, because it's the easier act to do. It's the very generic point A to point B plot. And act two is a whole different ball game that gives it a lot more meat for you to chew on. So I love this um, musical. I just yeah. I, think it's, I think it's fascinating looking at these tales mm-hmm. uh, through the eyes of a 47 year old. Oh, I can find relatables for every single character. You look at mm-hmm. Cinderella and it's the Princess Diana story. Like it's like yes. 
like the failure of her uh, anyway but there there are so many compares little red riding hood i mean there's it's mm -hmm. <laughs> it's they were there to to uh, warn children yes you know and yes. it's true but yeah there we go that's why this is our season three opener but for those of you who don't know what into the woods is about i'm going to give you the plot description so we all can get on the same storybook page here so musical opens and right off the bat we meet cinderella jack from jack and the beanstalk uh a new fairy tale couple called the baker and his wife and uh, little red riding hood and right off the narrator who is a active character in this story who is interjecting the whole time basically gives the basic plot setup cinderella wants to go to the ball jack has to go sell his cow little red's off to go see her grandmother and then you get this added story of the baker and his wife who are childless and who want a child uh turns out the reason why they can't have a child is because their next door neighbor the witch from rapunzel has cursed uh the baker's entire family line because it was the baker's father who stole magic beans from her garden when he stole vegetables to feed his wife. Uh, so that was part of her curse after she took the baby and locked her in a tower. Thus, you have the Rapunzel plot. Uh, so she said, you can break the curse, but you're going to need, need to make a potion first. She goes, bring me back. Hair as yellow as corn, a slipper as pure as gold, a cow as white as milk, and a cake as red as blood. So off they go into the woods to go and get these items cinderella heads off to go talk to her mother who's a tree uh at her grave she gets the dress she gets the classic fairy tale transformation in this version we're staying true the, to the charles perrault uh version it's not glass slippers it is a gold slipper so off she goes and jack is off in the woods he comes across a mysterious man who chastises him for trying to basically extort people to sell his cow and plants the seed of you would be lucky to exchange the cow for a sack of beans the baker trudges through the woods he comes across little red after she's been accosted by the wolf the witch prompts him to get her cape he takes the cape she screams he gives the cape back and little red storms off to see granny uh then he meets up with his wife they buy the cow via the beans uh, however, however, out of the six beans they have, they give him five and keep one for themselves. So they now have the cow, the baker sets off to get the cape, and he sends his wife home with uh, the cow. Because he says, what's too dangerous, go home. Uh, along her way home, uh, the baker's wife runs into Cinderella, who is escaping from her first night at the ball. Um, and and uh, the baker goes and saves Little Red from the wolf who has eaten her he's he takes the spot of the hunter from the original fairy tale cuts the wolf open uh pulls the granny and little red out they put the stones in the wolf and kill the wolf and little red out of thanks gives him the cape so now we have the cape and they got the cow the next uh so that that's all done in one day so one midnight is now gone uh the next day he meets jack who has come back down from his visit with the giant and he's gotten the first treasure, which is the gold pieces. He gives the, the baker gold pieces and says, I'm coming back for my cow. Then, then the, uh, the baker and his wife run into each other. They have a great song. 
Uh, we meet the princes who are in the woods pursuing their love interests for Act One, anyway. Uh, Rapunzel, who Rapunzel and Cinderella, uh, the the baker's wife, follows one of the princes and gets Rapunzel's hair. So now we got the hair, the the cape, the cow, and now all they need is the the slipper. So then the cow dies. Uh, so now they need to get a new cow, and this is where the five gold pieces come back into play because now the baker can use the five gold pieces to go and get a cow uh, and buy a cow. So off they go. And the, and the baker's wife goes off and gets the slipper. They get a cow. They cover it in flour to cover up that it's not a cow as white as milk. The witch catches this, goes, go get me the dead cow. I'll bring it back to life. They bring the cow back to life. They feed the cow all the ingredients, but the hair, because the witch touched it, is not working. It, 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 break, it doesn't work with the spell, so they got to find a new solution. They, fear, feed, they feed the hair from a cob of corn to the cow, and thus they get the milk that the witch drinks, and she then turns into the beautiful eyes version of the witch. And at the same time, it's revealed that the, that the mysterious man that's been helping all these events take place in Act 1 is actually the baker's father, who, at a shame after he lost his wife, disappeared into the woods he dies everybody has a happily ever after song at the end of act one cheers hooray and at the very end we see this beanstalk starting to grow because to get the slipper the baker's wife traded the last magic bean and cinderella thinking it was stupid threw it away so nobody notices this new beanstalk that is now going to wreak more havoc act two opens all the characters are kind of coming bored with their new happily ever after life the giantess now descends on the kingdom, starts wreaking havoc, kills Little Red's mother, destroys the baker and his wife's house. So the baker and his wife now set off with their baby uh, to help Little Red get to Granny's in the woods. Jack goes to hunt the giant in the woods, and Cinderella goes to investigate what's going on in disguise in the woods. Uh, Rapunzel is having a nervous breakdown from all her poor treatment by her witch mother, who locked her in a tower blinded her love interest, banished her to a desert where she had twins. Basically, it's all the repercussions of Rapunzel coming to hit her, and basically she's a destroyed person. Like she is broken. Uh, they all come across the giant who has destroyed the castle and, and the kingdom. They try to offer the two blind stepsisters as payment to the giantess to make her go away. That doesn't work. Jack's mother comes to defend Jack and starts insulting the giant. The steward clubs her to death to shut her up uh, at a self-preservation. But before she dies, she makes the, the baker promise to protect Jack. The witch uh, says, let's go get Jack. Rapunzel gets to the giant's way, gets stepped on, she dies, uh, which then really breaks the witch. And now she's really out on the war path to get uh, Jack. Uh, the baker and his wife split up, much to the baker's reluctance to go find Jack. The baker instead finds Cinderella at the broken tree trunk of her mother's grave. And the uh, baker's wife stumbles across Cinderella's prince. And they engage in an adulterous affair. Some productions have them making out. Other productions have it as if they just did the roll in the hay, as it were. Either way, they do the deed, some type of adulterous deed. The, the, the Cinderella's uh, prince leaves her in the woods. The baker's wife reflects on what's just happened. She decides she can't keep living in this 
uh, adulterous affair that she's being caught up in. She decides to get try to get, she tries to get back on the path to get back to the baker. But as in all fairy tales, once you commit the, this immortal sin like adultery, you get killed off too. So she gets stomped on by the giant as well. Uh, Jack finds the body, buries the body, brings back the scarf to the baker. The baker lashes out, starts blaming Jack. Then we get a whole number of all of them blaming each other, ultimately boiling down to it's the witch's fault because the witch is the one that gave the beans that got this whole uh, thing started. The witch kind of fires back at them all going, screw all of you. Like, sure, I'll be the one to blame because that's all that you will really care about. It's not responsibility, it's blame. She then uh, discards the last of the beans and she disappears in a puff of smoke. In the original production, she turned into a rabbit. So anyway, so witch, witch is gone. The the gang of, Rapunz- of, of, of Cinderella, Little Red, Jack, and the baker um, now try to regroup. The baker, not being able to live with the guilt of losing his wife, flees further into the woods, comes across Ghost Dad, who basically puts him back on the right path. I have a beautiful song called No More. The baker comes back to his son. They make a plan to kill the giant by uh, trapping her uh, uh, to the ground in pitch and then clubbing her to death after the birds peck her eyes out. Once again, lovely, dark, dramatic, <laughs> happy fairy tale good story. As they wait for the giant, it's uh, Little Red reveals that Granny is dead too via the giant, uh, and Jack finds out that his mother was killed by the steward. And they have this moment of reflection, which we'll get into because that's a song we'll definitely talk about. And they kill the giant, and then the baker, um, after talking to Ghost Wife there, uh, begins to tell the story once again. So it's that circular ending of these stories that continue down the line. And that is Into the Woods. Whew. Yes, that is Into the Woods. <laughs> into the Woods and Out of the Woods and Home Before Dark. And that's our podcast for this week. Yeah. <laughs> yep, thanks everybody. Bye. <laughs> uh, but there we go. Uh, Autumn, why don't you give us a creative team, even though we've already talked about Lapine and Sondheim. Who do we have to talk about this week? I'm going to make this very short. Okay. Are you ready? Go. So the the original source material, of course, comes from the Brothers Grimm, or in their uh, Germanic words, uh, Die Kreuter Grimm. <laughs> I like the Grimm. There you go. Uh, Die Kreuter Grimm. Um, mm-hmm. who, so it's Jacob Ludwig Karl Grimm and Wilhelm Karl Grimm. Okay. Um, German academics cultural researchers, et cetera, authors, um, who together collected and published folklore during the 19th century, mm-hmm. including their massive works, Cinderella, Frog Prince, Goose Girl, Hansel und Gretel, uh, Rapunzel, Beauty and the Beast, Little Red, mm-hmm. uh, Three Little Pigs, Rumpelstiltskin. Where's he in this? That's what I'd like to know. They were born in Hanau in uh, Hesse Castle, now Germany, uh, and spent uh, their childhood in a nearby town. Their father's death impoverished the family and affected the brothers for many years. And I think we see the ripples of that uh, with the class divide in many of their pieces. So I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of their work, uh, it came from Charles Perrault, mm-hmm. uh, who was a, 
um, a French author, uh, 1628 to 1703. So he was a precursor to Grimm, uh, the Grimm brothers by about a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he um, was a member of the Académie Française um, and he laid foundations for a new literary genre, the fairy tale. So he was one of the, he was the guy. Um, and he, uh, his best known tales are Le Petit Chaperon Rouge or Little Red Riding Hood, mm-hmm. um, Cinderellon, which is Cinderella, uh, Le Chef Boot, Puss in Boots, and Le Belle au Bois Dormant Sleeping Beauty. So that's good. And he also wrote Bluebeard, which I found fascinating. So it's kind of looking at, um, like they did their research with these. Oh, yeah. So nice. So Mm -hmm. nice. Gotta say. We've talked about Sondheim ad nauseum. So hopefully we know who he is. Yep. Everybody, if you do not, um, go back and listen to one of our other many podcasts up until this point west side story company uh merrily long and sweeney Sweeney todd Mm -hmm. those are the ones we've so we've 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 it's happened james lapine we actually in recording this just talked about him last episode in falsetto our world of falsettos but uh book writer playwright uh, and uh, director, uh, known for this, Sunday in the Park with George and Falsettos. He also did the Moss Hart, um, wrote that play about Moss Hart. Uh, yes. And I forget the name of it. What, uh, act One? Act One. Act, act, act One. one. It's called act Tony one. Shaloub. That's him. Um, amazing. Yes. The one person that I think I'd like to talk about here is the person that handles the musical staging, which is akin to choreography, mm-hmm. but slightly different. Musical staging is usually mm, more, I would say it's a combination between a director's work and a choreographer, a choreographer's work. Yeah, like walking around in a specific way. <laughs> There's a lot of that in this show. People want to do in the woods. So the musical uh, staging slash choreography person for this choreographer is what we should call them was Lara Lubavitch. Um, and he's an American choreographer. He founded his own company, the Lara Lubavitch Dance Company in 1968, uh, based in New York City. Uh, the company's performed in every state. Uh, and in more than 30 countries. Uh, as of 2005, he choreographed over 100 dances for that company, his own company. Uh, in addition to that, he has also done creative work in ballet, ice skating, and musical theater, notably of this show. But he has played a key role in raising funds to fight AIDS. Um, it ties together. He... In 1993, choreographed the highly praised dance sequences for the Broadway show, The Red Shoes. And the final ballet for that show um, joined the repertoires of the American Ballet Theater and, ta-da, the National Ballet of Canada. 
Beautiful. And he he's worked everywhere. San Francisco Ballet. Uh, you know, he's he's done a ton of stuff. He did the musical staging for the revival of The King and I. Uh, and he did the Disney version, uh, stage version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm, what my favorite, favorite Disney musical uh, that that's... never made it to Broadway because of Frozen. He's also choreographed a ton of dances for... Olympic gold medalists such as John Curry, Peggy Fleming, and Dorothy Hamill. Well, there you go. I thought he, that was interesting. I do deserve him. Yep. Lar Lubavitch. Lar Lubavitch. Shout out to you, buddy. Way to go. Way yeah. to go. And I'm going to let you carry on because yours is going to be longer. <laughs> Light your cigarette. Here we go. <clears throat> All right, so following the success of Sending the Park with George, Lapine and Sondheim were looking to tackle their next project. Lapine was intrigued in writing a fairy tale, and Sondheim longed to tell a quest story along the lines of the film The Wizard of Oz, because that was one of his favorite movies growing up as a child. Uh, Lapine first tried to write an original, a traditional fairy tale, but found that writing uh, a fairy tale from scratch was difficult, in that the individual classics were all just too brief to actually make a full-length musical out of them. Uh, things started to come together, though, when they came across the idea of doing a crossover story featuring well-known characters. The idea for them actually came up when Sondheim and Lapine tried to sell a TV episode idea to Norman Lear, where all these TV characters like T.J. Hooker, Edith and Archie Bunker, Cagney and Lacey all kind of cross-mingle where like Archie and Edith get into an accident. T.J. Hooker investigates and they end up at a hospital with Cagney and Laney. Normally, but, sorry, what year would we have been in for that to be? Because I would have been in the 70s then. Seven, well, probably late 70s, early 80s is what I'm thinking. Okay, weird. Yeah. I want to know what that project with Richmond looked like then. <laughs> well, you know what? Norman Lear wanted to know that too because they pitched the idea of this TV character crossover and, and, Nor and Norman was like, yes, absolutely. And Sondheim and Lepine were like, we just wanted to sell you the idea and get some quick cash. We actually don't want to write the script for this. And Norman was like, well, I just want to read the damn script. So adios. Uh, but there we go. But that was the kind of the seed of this idea. So in 1986, Lepine returned to this crossover idea. But this time, instead of featuring Norman Lear TV characters, it was now going to be Brothers Grimm fairy tale characters. Uh, to link them, Lapine then created his own fairy tale that would allow all these characters to interconnect, and that was born his own fairy tale that he tried to write in the first place, which was The Baker and His Wife. So, bada bing, bada boom, they all got what they wanted. They got the quest story and they got the traditional fairy tale uh, story all in one. Uh, uh, so when adapting the tales, Lapine took particular interest in finding tales with common plot points that uh, uh, and common themes. So the big one was uh, making sure that all the characters told these tiny little lies to achieve their happily ever after. Because Lapine and Sondheim were really interested in exploring the consequences of these little lies, and they really wanted to avoid a happy ending musical. So they really wanted to kind of explore that. So to do that, they figured out that Act 1 had to be the traditional fairy tale set up and then have Act 2 as a more of a problem exploration. 
piece. So they said Act 1 was going to be a farce, Act 2 was going to be a melodrama. And to help them understand the characters better, as well as the fairy tales they were adapting, they actually went and consulted with a Jungian psych uh, psychiatrist to help get a better psycho psychological analysis of these characters. Because, you know, that's what you got to do. Um, okay, so then to help um, figure out the interconnected plot, Sondheim recommended to Lapine that he should physically draw it on a big piece of paper, the plots of all the characters to start drawing lines to inter interconnect them and figure out where you could kind of double into these stories. Like in the original Jack and the Beanstalk fairy tale, the mysterious man is not the baker's father, but just a random guy on the street who has these beans that he, that he gives to Jack. He's dead and into the woods. You have this thing of breaking those characters in two and giving that plot point a double to two different characters. So, but that, that was sometimes suggestion. Lapine was like, no, I'm not going to do it that way. And just instead, I'm going to plow right into writing. So off he went to go right, like right into the woods he went. And Sondheim, after reading the first attempt, already said this was an excellent example of play construction, where every setup had a payoff, it was a tight script, and it was only going to get tighter from there. But anyway, uh, early in the writing process, Lapine suggested to Sondheim that each familiar fairy tale character, like Little Red, Jack and the Beat, or Jack and Jack and the Beanstalk and Cinderella, should have a reflective soliloquy to the audience about their particular adventures to help set up the baker's wife reflective soliloquy in act two. Uh, Sondheim took the idea and wrote Jack's song first because he felt that the imagery and easy plot lent itself to writing a song really well. Uh, however, he ran into the roadblock of why are these characters singing songs about plots we already know? Like, why are they just giving us exposition? And it was Lapine's wife who said, well, the song shouldn't be about just description. It should be about what these adventures meant to the characters. So get more psychological. And with that key, Sondheim then figured out that thematically, you can link them all uh, to the theme of the experience of learning. Thus, Little Red's uh, song became the kickoff point for him with the I Know Things Now. And from there, he was able to then spin that out to Rapunzel, or, or not Rapunzel, Cinderella, Jack, and the Baker's Wife. Um... Let's see. Do, 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 do. Um, Sondheim, though, did struggle with Cinderella because he found her motives and lack of action in, in, in her own story made it really challenging to write this character. So it was Lapine who gave the suggestion that it's Cinderella who consciously decides to leave her slipper behind to test the prince, to see if he'll love her for who she is, not just for her in the ballgame. And so that indecisive decision that she makes really unlocked that whole fairy tale for Sondheim. The Sondheim goes, I don't think anybody else had ever figured out with this story. It's always, she just loses the, the slipper and that's it. There isn't a, a decision to do that moment. And when he did that, it was like, okay, now she has agency. Now she has struggle. Now she is a much more developed character that we can work with. So there we go. Uh, Chip Zine was brought in to do the reading uh, for the work in progress way back in the early stages, but he actually remembers reading for the role of Rapunzel's prince. Which... No. <laughs> well, he agreed with you, and he actually was like, I actually would rather much be the baker. So he began his campaign to play the baker. Uh, Joanne Gleason came in to audition, but it only prepared an up-tempo uh, uh, and, and not a ballad, or sorry, she, she'd only prepared a ballad when they'd asked for an up-tempo. Uh, so they said, do you have anything more beat? She goes, 
no, but I can sing this song faster. And she did. <laughs> and so she was cast in the role. And it was during a phone call between Sondheim and Gleason that the famous line that the baker's wife says, which is, this is ridiculous. What am I doing here? I'm in the wrong story. Was born because Gleason told Sondheim she was confused about uh, the baker's wife's actions with uh, Cinderella's prince. She just felt she was reading the wrong storybook. And Sondheim was like, wait, that's the perfect line. I'm going to use that. And so thus that key line of the story for Act 2 was born. I love that. That's great. And is the, oh, yeah, and he has said it is the only time he ever stole a line from an actor. <laughs> now, do you know who they originally wanted for The Witch? I used to, but now I've forgotten. Mm-hmm. Patty Lupone. Right. Was yes, who they is. originally wanted for The Witch. Patty Lupone thought, no, I want to be Cinderella and audition to be Cinderella. And they were like, no, we still want you for The Witch. And she was like, okay, fine, I'll do The Witch. But then negotiations fell apart. She went off and did Anything Goes. Uh, and instead, uh, they went to Bernadette Peters. So Into the Woods premiered at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego, California on December the 4th, 1986, and ran for 50 performances under the direction of James Lapine. The production featured much of the cast that would transfer to Broadway, with some exceptions. John Cunningham, who played the narrator, the wolf, and the steward, and um, and, and uh, George Cohn, who played the mysterious man, Cinderella's father, were replaced by Tom uh, um, Aldrich, among other actors. And basically, they were out. Uh, Kenneth Marshall was Cinderella's prince, and he was replaced by Robert Wagner, or sorry, Westenberg, who played the wolf as well. Who was uh, uh, talked about in our Secret Garden episode. Correct. You were right. Uh, and then uh, Luann Ponce, who played Little Red Riding Hood, was replaced by Daniela uh, uh, Furland, who had just starred in um, Sunday in the Park of with George as the little girl who mm. needs her glasses. Uh, yes, you can hear the similarities. Uh, have you seen pictures of the theater when it transferred to Broadway initially? No, what is that? Because there's a big, they, what they did is they constructed like this big uh, beanstalk growing out of the theater with a giant like looking over the seat. Of the, oh, the that is cool. Yeah. I like that. That's a great bit of publicity. That's smart. Um, yes. Uh, and then, oh, Ellen uh, uh, Foley was the witch in, in, in the Old Globe production. And she was replaced by Bernadette Peters. Kay uh, McElind, who, who played both Rapunzel and stepsister Florinda, stayed with the cast, but only ended up playing Florinda with Rapunzel being played by Pamela Winslow. Like, how long did Bernadette Peters stay on as the witch? Because I hear that she did not stay in the production. Yeah, it was only five months. Was, yeah, yeah she, had, she had film obligations. She had to leave after five months. But yeah, during this time in San Diego, the show uh, evolved. Uh, Sondheim and Lapine spent much of their time not only just rearranging and cutting and, re- and redoing songs and dialogue, but also they really focused on tightening up the central points of the show. They really wanted to make sure they knew what is the show about, and uh, and really and they really came to the point of focusing on the two central plot points of the relationship between parents and children and the concept of uh, communal responsibility. And it was the latter's plot point that made Sondheim write the song "No One Is Alone" to address the concept of every action has a reaction. And no one acts alone. Like everybody, every choice you make has a ripple effect to somebody else. Okay, so the show transfers to Broadway. 
It begins previews. During the previews, the wolf costume had to go under some changes because there was a large anatomical phallic shaped feature on the costume, aka he had a penis. Uh, <laughs> a very large flaccid penis on the front of his costume that was that moved around quite a bit. And every time he leapt onto stage to confront Little Red, the audience would either laugh or would just get really distracted by this very prominent costume piece. So basically they had to reduce the size of this piece of the body to make it less distracting, a little bit more subtle, as it were. Um, <laughs> but if the woods opened on Broadway at the Martin Beck Theater on November the 5th, 1987, it starred Bernadette Peters as the witch, Joanna Gleason as the baker's wife, Chip Zine as the baker, Kim Crosby as Cinderella, Ben Wright as Jack, De uh, De uh, Daniela Furland as Little Red, um, but who else do I have here? Uh, uh, Chuck Wagner was uh, Rapunzel's prince, uh, Meryl Lewis was, was the grandmother, and Cinderella's mother, and also the voice of the giant. Tom Aldridge was the mysterious man and narrator. Robert Westenberg was Cinderella's prince. Pamela Winslow was Rapunzel. Philip Hoffman was the steward. Uh, Kay um, Selland was uh, Florinda. Lauren Mitchell, my friend's mom, was Lucinda. Uh, I know. Uh, and then Joy Friends. Uh, of, of friends was uh the was the stepmother and Barbara Bryan from Sunday in the Park with George and Amadeus was Jack's mother. Uh, the musical received praise for its production value, but reviewers didn't feel the two acts were cohesive enough and felt very truncated. And, and they kind of criticized the weird dark turn of the plot. Uh, for some reason they didn't get what they were going for. So, but despite the mixed reviews, the show proved to be Sondheim's most a popular review uh and thus um it became the second longest running show on broadway for some time uh the show was nominated for 10 tony awards it won three for best score best book and best actress for joanna gleason beating patty lapone and reno sweeney as reno sweeney anything goes and it was the same year as the phantom of the opera this was a big deal because they thought that music uh, was going to be a shoe-in for phantom that year and sondheim squeaked it out <laughs> As as it should. I'm sorry, but the characters in book are not complex in Phantom of the Opera. Phantom uh, has the spectacle chandelier yeah. into the woods. I, my 14 year old self disagreed. Disagrees. I was the Phantom nutty until dot 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 later. Okay. Right. Okay. So hey, I, we should also point out too that like Joanna Gleason winning was also a bit of a surprise that year yes too. yeah, yeah. Oh, everybody yeah. thought it was gonna be patty lapone as reno sweeney yeah. for the win you can actually see it if you watch that award show you can see patty be pretty upset <laughs> <laughs> Brenda peters left the show after five months due to her filming commitments for slaves in new york the show closed after 765 performances but the cast came back in 1989 to record a production of it back at the martin beck uh, for PBS's American Playhouse. This this recording has gone on to be released on DVD, Blu-ray, remastered. It's, it's, it's one of the best shows. And it's the only movies. film version of this show. Exactly. <laughs> There's been no other attempts at filming. <laughs> That's exactly. <funny. laughs> uh, then the show was revived on Broadway in 2002 with Vanessa Williams uh, as The Witch. Uh, and that featured a rewrite of The Last Midnight, as it was now meant to be a menacing lullaby for the bakery's baby. 
You're so pure, but stay here and in time you'll mature and grow up to be them. So let's fly, you and I, far away. I'm the hitch, I'm what no one believes. I'm the witch. They're all liars and thieves, like your father, just like you will be too. Oh, why bother? They'll just do what they do. Uh, the 2012 production done in Regent's Open Air Theater starred Amy Adams as the baker's wife, Donna Murphy as the witch, Dennis O'Hare as the baker, Chip Zine came back as the mysterious man, and Cinderella's father. Mm. Uh, that was a very good production. Stratford did Into the Woods as their first ever Sondheim production in 2005, directed by Peter Hinton. It it was quite memorable because they moved the setting from Europe to Canada, where Act 1 is set in the fall and Act 2 is set in the winter during an ice storm. Uh Uh, The landscape and set design was was meant to resemble a silent film, as well as the paintings of René Marguerite. And notably, the witch was dressed in vegetables for her first act costume, like her staff was in a giant asparagus. Of course she was. And the cast was Bruce Dow as the baker, Mary Ellen um, Mahoney as the baker's wife, and Susan Gilmore was the witch. Mm, yeah. Which, fantastic. Yeah. And now we get to the 2014 film adaptation. Mm, do, we, do we have it? Yes. Uh-huh. And it all started because President Obama at the 9-11 anniversary quoted the song No One Is Alone. Which got Rod Marshall thinking that this is a great time to do this musical. So thus began the journey by Rob Marshall to direct this. Uh, and it was adapted for screen by James Lafon. Uh, I, I just cast- want to also say that even though we share a last name, there is no relation between me and Rob. And I think he has to be stopped. <laughs> well, he did what was- Him and Tom Hooper. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. Both of them. Goodbye. Hey, at least Rob Marshall did a good job with Chicago. Yeah, the one time he did something good. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Nine and Into the Woods, not so much. They just didn't get, like, it's funny. If you get James Lapine to write your screenplay, you would think he would do a better job at meshing the two acts into a three-act film structure, but instead mm-hmm. they butchered the second act of, 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 of the musical. Do you know why? Why? Who produced this? Disney. Mm-hmm. That, that's why. Yeah. yeah, they had to sugarcoat some things in that yeah, show. Yes, um, Rapunzel doesn't die. Which is like the, I, like, I, I for me personally, yeah, it comes down to like the probably the producers that were part of it. Mm-hmm. I do think Rob Marshall has a, has a lot to answer for in that show. But whoever was the casting director did a phenomenal job. So I don't think it falls on any of the performers. Like they, no, they, they all were knocked good. it out of the park. Even Meryl Streep. Yeah. Even yeah, I mean, they were they were failed by everybody else that was on that was a part of that movie. Particularly the writing. The writing is what killed it. So that's when I so when I took my parents to see that they just didn't get why I liked the show so much. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, the movie didn't do it right. Oh but yeah, so the movie huge James Corden fan. Well, yeah, yeah. he was okay. He was okay. He was he, he wasn't the major standout for me of no. that. I mean, Meryl Streep as the witch. You had James Corbin as the baker. Emily Blunt as the baker's right. wife. I thought that should have been Amy Adams since she already done it on Broadway in the park. Uh, Anna, Anna Kendrick was Cinderella. 
Chris Pine was a fantastic Cinderella's prince. Tracy Ullman was Jack's mother. Christine Baranski as the stepmother. And Johnny Depp as the wolf. I don't think that, yeah, I don't, yeah. Again, no no shade on Johnny Depp, I guess, but like, I don't know who made that decision to have him dress up like a 1940s gangster. It was his decision. He spawned admitted that was his idea to go for the Tex Avery wolf look. But they misled you because the first trailer was like hiding his face. I was like, oh, he's going to be like a CGI makeup prosthetic. He's going to look like a wolf. No, he just looks like Johnny Depp in a really bad wig in a suit. I don't know what was happening there. Yeah. I don't know. At that point, I was I was sitting in the theater watching that movie and I was like, that was kind of the exact moment I checked out. I was like, what what's going on right now? <laughs> no. Yeah. No. It lost its poignancy. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the film 2014, but it was actually in the works since the early nineties when there was a version that was going to be done with Robin Williams as the baker, Goldie Hawn as the baker's wife, Cher as the witch, Danny DeVito as the giant, Steve Barton as the wolf, and Roseanne Barr as Jack's mother. I think we were robbed, honestly. I would have loved to have seen that production. <laughs> there also was going to be a Muppets version, too, that featured yeah. the Muppets. I as well as a live action loved that. Who, who was going to be the baker? Robin Williams. Yes. Like yes. It, works, it would right? be a great baker. Yeah. That. Mm-hmm. Him, not the other one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh yeah, but as we said, notably the big change that came with the 2014 film was <laughs> that Rapunzel doesn't die via being squashed by the giant. The excuse that was given by Lapine and Marshall and Sondheim was they felt Rapunzel's death was played too much for comedy and lacked the serious nature of the moment, which I'm like, no. The film though did get relatively good reviews, earning a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it was nominated for three Academy Awards, including Best Supporting Actress for Meryl Streep, Best Production Design, Best Costume Design. It didn't win any of the awards. And yeah, that's it. Kyle, why don't you tell us, how did you first come to this show? I've told this story, I think, before on my show, but I was part of something called Theater Club in my high school. And Theater Club is not a club to put on theater, but to go and watch theater. I grew up in a very small town of like 7,000 people in central Alberta. And so once every couple months, we would get into a van, drive up to Edmonton, one of the big cities here in this province, and we would partake in theater, uh, specifically from the Citadel Theater. So I was familiar with West Side Story a little bit, but one of the musicals we were going to see was Through the Woods. And because we were part of this theater group, we got to have like this little like session right before the play started. We went behind the scenes and one of the theater... um, uh, uh, employees kind of mm-hmm. talked us through who Stephen Sondheim was and why he was such important, uh, had such importance to the uh, theater tradition, musical theater in general, and kind of uh, what he was known for. So we had a little bit of backstory there. And then we went and saw the show, and I knew nothing about what the show is about, like literally zero. So I thought that the end of the show happened at the midpoint <laughs> during intermission. <laughs> like, and I got up, I was like, oh, there was like, there's some good music in there and there's some interesting themes. Um, and then I looked down on in my little you know, playbill and I was like, there is a second act. I'm like, well, where do you go from there? They wrapped up everything, right? <laughs> so then the second act happens. And when I say it was a, a transcendental, um, I don't know, moment for me, that might be underselling it. It really did change my life because this really started me on the journey of being obsessed with Stephen Sondheim and like going to this record store and finding every... Uh, show that he had done and mm-hmm. trying to collect them and that sort of thing mm-hmm. 
And I think it was kind of the stuff we've already been talking about, which is it was taking these fairly, I don't know, I'll say like obvious themes, but bringing it out in such like a humane and um, interesting way rather than it just feeling pat or, or easy. It was like, these are like, uh, as an adult, easy to understand, but like hard to fully uh, grasp, I guess. So it was, uh, it, it totally subverted my expectations and I just, I just fell in love with it. Uh, so yeah, it was like, I watched that and like the next week found the original Broadway cast album which also started me on my love of Bernadette Peters. Yes. <laughs> pretty, pretty hardcore from, from that point on. And listen to that show front to back countless times when I was a teenager. So like when I when it comes on now, like I could I can probably yeah, sing it word for word as it's playing. Hmm. Interesting. There we go. Autumn, how about you? What was your first experience with Into the Woods? Uh, let's hark- Here we go. Let's harken back, shall we? Fourteen year old Autumn Smith. Travels to New York City to see Phantom of the Opera with Michael Crawford. Mm. And we saw that and then we were like, what else shall we see? So, uh, on did you actually see a production with Sarah Brightman? I did. And then we were like, well, we're here for four days. How else shall we fill our our playbills? Uh, and we went to see Cats. Starlight right. Express. No way. You saw I, Starlight Express? I certainly uh, did. Oh, show. my gosh. Goddamn. And we need more time. singing trains. Do we <laughs> ever? My son would have killed to see that. And Into the Woods. And it was in its, it was in 19, I figured it out, it was in 88. And Dick Cavett had just taken over the role oh. of the Mm. And Bernadette had left. I thought it was Bernadette, but it was not. It was Betsy Jocelyn. But mm. everyone else was a, the original cast. Mm-hmm. And That's I sat there and I was like, oh, <laughs> Tony's got it right. This was the most fantastic thing I've ever seen. Uh, and I was confused. I, I felt like I had gone into the woods and I had a transformative experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, did not come out the same person. And it was exciting and strange and confusing. It and was I, an awakening. And I knew things now. Yeah. Many valuable things. There you go. Now, what theater actually should look like. <laughs> and the type of theater that I wanted to pursue. Perfect. So it was good. Uh, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I came to this through Kiwanis Music Festival because I did No One Is Alone uh, as part of my dual competition song. So I did No One Is Alone, played off of me from Beauty and the Beast, where I got to get dressed up as Gaston. So polar different songs. So, So wait, how did you pick this song if you're not familiar with it? My singing teacher. Oh, okay. Came in like I got to pick one of the songs, and the rule was she got to pick the other one. I usually always pick the up tempo, and she always found the ballad that would challenge right. me because I I was terrible at taking things slow and keeping time and being. I'm very not... surprised to hear you say that. <laughs> but yeah, I I learned the song, and then for my research, I just started going down the rabbit hole. So I watched the Burned Up Peters. Uh, PBS version um, 
And then my friend, Mariana, who I went to Stratford Shakespeare School with, I found out her mom was part of the original company as Lucinda. So if you watch the PBS, she's the taller of the evil stepsisters. Uh, my friend, Mariana, her mom, uh, the, the original Lucinda, she actually has one of the Milky Whites, the actual oh, wow. prop cow. No way. She does. She does. So Mariana, shout out to you. When Otto and I get to New York at some point, we will have to do an episode with you. Yeah. Uh, so. Or we yeah. could zoom her in. We could zoom her in. You know what? Maybe I'll do that too. But I'll only if Milky White is there at the yes. same time. Yes. Yeah, Milky White has to be there. Definitely. Um, if Maude can make an appearance, so can Milky yes. White. Yes, exactly. Uh, saw the 2014 film. I dragged my family to see it on Christmas Day. At the movies. So you ruined Christmas in 2014 is what you're saying. I get blamed <laughs> for that quite a bit. I mean, mind you, it all stemmed from the fact we were supposed to go to... We were supposed to go to... Uh, Ven- Venezuela? Something like that. We were supposed to go to like, Venezuela for Christmas. Oh. But our passports weren't renewed in time. So we got stuck, couldn't go. So um, we went to the woods instead. Well, I, well, really, well, okay, so when you show up to your house... No food in the fridge. Like, you've, you've packed everything away. Like, no Christmas tree is up. And now you're like, well, this is a really depressing Christmas. What should we do? We should go to the movies. And Mac, being the theater kid, is like, well, Into the Woods, that we want you to go see Into the Woods. My dad had heard the plot. I just told it to him a number of times. He was interested in seeing it. We all sit down to see it with 10 other people in, in the Aurelia movie theater. And... Let's just say I left going Christmas memories of this year when you dragged me to see cats. You took me to see cats. You paid for that. I know. I was being kind because you dragged me there in Aurelia. (laughs) Uh, Hey, I'll watch Into the Woods over that freaking cats movie any day. So now we head into our top three songs of the musical. Now, this is like a Sophie's Choice level of choosing these songs. So, Kyle, why don't you kick us off? What is your first song on the list? Yeah, you're you're not wrong when you say Sophie's Choice. I actually, I know because mostly through nostalgia through this, like there are so many like nine or 10 out of 10s for me in this score. Um, so just be aware that these are, yes, my top three as of this very second, mm-hmm. but there is probably at least seven or eight more. They're like yeah. <laughs> right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go three to one. So my third... Okay choice is the prologue the actual first song in the show once upon a time in a far off kingdom i wish lived a fair maiden more than anything more than life a sad young lad i wish a childless baker more than life i wish and his wife anything more than the moon i wish the king is giving a festival more than life, I wish. I wish to go to the festival. More than riches, I wish my cow would give some milk. More than anything, I wish we had a child. I wish to go to the festival. I wish to give us a Mostly, because it does all this great table setting, and mm. I'm always so impressed by like, boy, I won't. I don't even know how you start with this song. It seems like so unwieldy to try and be mm-hmm. like. Tell the story of like here, here's who everyone is. This is setting up every one of their stories, how they're cross-acting, mm-hmm. and getting right into the story. Plus, getting it super upbeat at the same time. 
Um, and it's I know it's eleven minutes long, but it's uh, I know it's fun. I love the prologue. It's 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 one of the longest openings of any Broadway show, and it is really good. It didn't make my list. I have I have others that kind of beat it out because I love it. But sometimes I go, I sometimes I do skip it, or I skip to the end where we actually get to the into the woods sure section at the end that I really like. Into the woods without delay, but careful not to lose the way. Into the woods, who knows what may be lurking on the journey. Into the woods to get the thing that makes it worth the journey. Into the woods to see the king, to sell the cow, to make the potion, to see, to sell, to get, to bring, to make, to live, to go to the festival, see to the world, to get, to bring, to make, to the world, to go to the festival, see to the world, to the world, Autumn, did it make your list, the opening prologue? I mean, I wish every song could make my list, but no, it did not make my list. But I agree. Perfect setup. It is. Perfect setup. And everyone has their quirks and quirks, and it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It also sets up everybody's musical motif that's going to show up. Like, a a Little Red's motif is very distinct, and you hear it right away, and you know it's her. Jack has his. Cinderella has hers. The baker and his wife, even the witch, gets her motif set up right away. And they all come together to create the melody of Into the Woods. And it's fantastic. I, yeah, and I just love some of the vocal and uh, performance choices. Mm-hmm. To this day, I love how Bernadette Peter says, go to the woods. Like, just the way that she, like, projects that out. Yes. <laughs> go to the woods! Um, so, yeah, everything about it. I, actually, her... the parts i like the most is really her interaction with the baker and the baker's yes. wife because uh, you get the witch's wrath basically in mm-hmm. that section too you do greens greens and nothing but greens parsley peppers cabbages and celery asparagus and watercress and vinegars and lettuce he said all right but it wasn't quite because i caught him in the autumn in my garden one night he was robbing me raping me rooting through my rutabaga writing my arugula and ripping up the rampy in my champion my favorite Not that it was the first time rap happened in a Broadway show. Some people erroneously say that, but uh, it was music that did the rap first. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, there's just a bunch of good little bits, and it uh, all of it adds up to a really great, satisfying whole for me. I mean, that song has my favorite line of the entire musical, which is when Jack's mother says, "We have no time to sit and dither while the well, withers, withers wither with her." That is such a song, Tiny. I know. He must have been so proud when he thought of it. <laughs> oh, I would be. Like, that is like a kiss to the heavens with that one. I, I That's why it's like my favorite line of the entire show is that one bit of lyric by this sub character. I think he should do something with Rumpelstiltskin. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the sequel. Well, Autumn, I told you, we're, we're, we're going to get some time to write a sequel with more grim sure. fairy tales. Totally. The baker's son now has to go off and do his own adventure. Uh-huh. With Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, with Rumpelstiltskin and others. Okay. Autumn, what's your number one? Uh, no more. No more giants waging war. Can't we just pursue our lives with our children and our wives? Till that happy day arrives, how do you ignore all the witches? 
All the curses, all the wolves, all the lies, the false hopes, the goodbyes, the reverses. All the wondering what even worse is still in store. Mm. Do not make my list either. I also have that on my list, so I love that. Ah, perfect. I do the way, by the way, this is one of the songs that makes me cry. The way that Chip Zine oh. does this song is just like, puts me right over the edge. Yeah. I was so mad when they cut this from the movie and did a stupid instrumental version. I almost walked out of the theater at this point. I was so angry. I'm like, how can you cut his journey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is his journey this is- song. This is it. This is the song for him. Like it, this angry. solidifies the story. Everyone else gets a solo song. He Except didn't get a James Corbin, <laughs> right? And it's so beautiful. And it's it's mm. him, it's him in such tremendous struggle mm-hmm. on walking away and like no more giants waging, no more curses you can't undo. Like it's just it's a begged it's begging to the gods. It's a, him pleading. To end the pain, it's so palpable yeah. in its uh, in ship science delivery, but in the actual language and uh, uh, le- like the the composition of it, it's magnificent, and it breaks my bloody heart every time. It breaks my dad's heart every time because he goes. It reminds me of my dad after he lost his mom at the age of ten. Like I, 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 like my dad just goes. He reminds me of my dad at that moment, like at the grave where he goes, how do I move forward? What do I do? You have to pick yourself up and forth, but you need that moment to really. To grieve. It's one of his massive stages of grief. And see him in absolute defeat. I think that, yeah. And I think that the. Like what the woods represent, there could be a whole conversation about like what the woods actually represent. <laughs> uh, I think it actually is different for each character personally, but mm. the the way that he even kind of starts this with like no more riddles, please. Like if there's a, a little pause before he like, and his voice quavers every time on the recording it does at least, mm-hmm. which, which I love. No more questions, please. No more tests. Comes the day you say what for, please, no more. Um, I don't know if either of you watched the telecast for Sondheim's 90th birthday. Yes. And Chip Zine reprised this and he clutched like mm-hmm. the little uh, baker's hat in his hand, which he still yeah. has from the original production. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whatever, in 2020, Chip Zine, am I going to go on and say like, He's one of the best singers right now. No, but boy, does he perform the song the best out of any mm-hmm. single person I've ever heard sing it. Yeah. Uh, and he still had it like me, like single tearing here, watching it on my computer in my house. Mm-hmm. Yes. Agree. He's a, he's, you know, the great thing about Sondheim is you need actors before you need singers. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there are a couple roles where you really need the singing chops, but it's about telling a story. And Chip mm-hmm. Zion just, takes you on the journey and i I love that i love it Mm -hmm. and it's it's heartbreaking that watching Mm -hmm. grapple with loss yeah that's number one mac my number one is it takes two Mm. (gasps) that's my number two 
song because it's the only real moment in the show where you see the baker and his wife really together as a unit working working towards something because the rest of the time they're usually bickering with each other or they're disagreeing or they're in conflict and yet this is the one moment of the entire show where they come together and it's not just a plain love ballad this is a conflict ballad where it's this realization of these two characters having a moment of Holy crap, I'm seeing you in a new light. When the cards are down, you got my back. Yeah. I think it was lovely, too, that it's such a great callback to earlier in the show when the baker is like, it's a curse that's on my house. And she's like, no, it's Mm -hmm. a curse that's on our house. No, the spell is on my house. Only I can lift the spell. The spell is on my house. No, you are not to come. And that is final now. And I think this is him coming to that realization. Like, it does take two of us to build a home and family. And that's yes. the thing. It's also a great um, uh, carryover of one of Sondheim's greatest loves, which is numbers. Because numbers comes up all the time in his mm-hmm. lyrics. And like yeah. love about math and puzzles and stuff like that. Yes. So, yeah, it's great. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and I'll say, like, you need this song because in order to earn the reaction of the baker at the end of Act 2 when, he, when she dies on him, you need this moment to really explain their relationship because if you don't have this song, then you don't get the love of the of, of this couple. You just get to see them bickering. And a lot of couples, like my parents, God love them, they bicker all the time. Like I, I, I got like for them, like they love to disagree and just snap, <laughs> like just fire off at each other. But then, no, but, then but then when push comes to that. shove, they come together. They, they they got each other's back all the time, and that's that's a good relationship. A good relationship yeah. is about challenging each other and challenge, you know, mm-hmm. debate and yes, you know, um, healthy debate, not, yes. you know, but <laughs> I, I like this uh, song. It's my number two because, mm-hmm. you know, their journey is so human mm-hmm. and, you know, she, she, the idea of being this, this couple that has a baby and, you know, and then she's like, oh my God, is this it for me? Mm-hmm. It's a question we all go through. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but I'll never kiss a prince. Will my life be fulfilled if I don't do that? Mm-hmm. Like, these bigger questions. And we get to go, oh, no, after watching them be so cohesive yes. and collaborative and go, oh, they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? It definitely makes that song Moments in the Woods like oh. <laughs> matter even more. Um, I, I just wanted to call out like the the greatness, I guess, of Lapine's script here in this case, because yes, this is wrapped up in a fairy tale wrapper, 
but this is a journey of these two characters that I think is so relatable. They want a kid, right? That that, that doesn't even need a fairy tale rapper. It's like they just want to have a kid and aren't able to at this point. And it's, that's their journey that they're going on. And then, yeah, they bring in like the magical stuff uh, after that. But I think that that core thing that is like tying all these other fairy tales together is so relatable and human that people are like, yeah, like I'm, I'm in it with these two two people. Yeah, and when you have difficulty having a child, the stress that that takes, and you know, they have their own business. He's a baker, she helps him. Like it's like they're average people. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you know, this is where class comes into play. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, that, I, that ideal of, of being rich and having a prince is not, that's not the ideal at all. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's such a hard lesson to watch play out mm-hmm. and watch her go through that journey and trying to justify how she's going to live with that, right? Yes. I, it's, it's devastating. Mm-hmm. You know? There it, we go. Yeah. Yeah, it takes two. Number two. Okay, yeah. so that was your number two. That's my number one. Kyle, your number one was the prologue. No, that was my number three, technically. Sorry, your number the three. Prologue. Number right. two was No More, which we've talked right. about. Right, okay, perfect. So what's my your number, number one? My number one is somewhat of a cheat because it's actually not listed as its own separate song on the cast, no, or in the original cast, or in, uh, which is Children Will Listen. No matter what you say, children won't listen. No matter what you know, children refuse to learn guide them all on the way still they won't listen children can only grow from something you love to something you lose i think children will listen is really the one of the most central themes. It's under the song Lament, actually, on yes. the original Broadway cast recording. Mm. Uh, but definitely in subsequent recordings and even on Bernadette Peters' like solo albums and stuff like that, it's just listed as children will listen mm. uh, instead. But I, I think this is a beautiful, and we've already kind of discussed it a little bit, which is I think as a child or as a early teen, you can look at this as very, um, with no subtext on it, being like, yeah, children will listen to you if you say mean things to them or, mm-hmm. or positive things. Mm-hmm. But I think it's much deeper than that, is that children are listening even when you don't think that they're listening. Mm-hmm. And for a parent, I think that that, uh, that hits differently, uh, where it's like, you're right, like everything I say, not just like do what I say and like I'm trying to guide you through life, but they're listening to me when they don't think other people are. Uh, anyways, I think there's a, a much a, there's a deep richness to this song that can be explored, and it's beautiful. I think it's a really beautiful song. Oh, it's got such deep richness. I mean, Sondheim, although he doesn't get biographical with it, but he goes, "This is really about my mother, mm-hmm. who, as we all know, was not a great mother, no. who kind of pawned him off on the Hammersteins, uh, and basically he kind of wrote it for her." Whereas that thing of you're right children pick up on everything they're very quick to to understand mm-hmm. things like autumn knows like, like you have kids i'm sure reed picks up on things all the time that they both you go 
what did you like did you just catch what i was doing there a little the little side look that you make about someone or a little comment a little dig you could do they they every kids pick up on that i i my mandate with children is to always be my true self even if it is the ugliest self mm-hmm. because then they get to see me as my my true being mm-hmm. and yeah. i have i'm i have things i'm not perfect mm-hmm. i mean you know i think what this but, goes into there was a very distinct moment i remember it was like second year of university and i came home to visit my parents and it was everything just came into focus all at once and i was like oh wait my parents are people and i don't know what it was it just like shocked into me I'm like oh they had like hopes and dreams and wants and desires and I just thought of them as I just they're my parents, like they're here at my house and I put up with them while I'm here. But then it's like, oh, wait a second, though, that they actually do have other things going on in their lives besides me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Children are. It's true. And, you know, as you grow and as you become a parent, you the, the your your whole world shifts like mm-hmm. it really shifts and watching the kids take in what they take in like i'm curious so i'm constantly watching them to see what they take in but even like uh, hannah will surprise me with things that she holds and then will release at a at a later time in a weird way i'm like you caught on to that you that's what you're like share <laughs> you know <laughs> like it's and uh, you know as as children like especially during my childhood we were told to listen and not talk. Right. So the idea that we were listening the whole time mm-hmm. is kind of that that coming back on itself. Which I well, think I, again, one of the great lyrics of the song: "Children might not obey, but they're listening the entire yeah. time." Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So good. So so good. Autumn, what's your number three? My number three is another uh, Baker and his wife song, and maybe they're really magic. Then you go and you find it and you get it. Do we want a child or not? And you give and you take and you bid and you bargain or you live to regret it. Will you please go home? There are rights and wrongs and in-betweens. No one waits when fortune intervenes. And maybe they're really magic. Who knows? Why you do what you do, that's the point. All the rest of it is chatter. Look at her, she's crying. If the thing you do is pure in intent, if it's meant and it's just a little bent, does it matter? No, what matters is that everyone tells tiny lies. What's important really is the size. Oh, do not make my list. And I chose this song because they're trying to justify lying (laughs) to a child. Yes. To get a child. Right. There's the hypocrisy that they're dealing with and what they're willing to do, willing to sacrifice, their moral ground they're willing to sacrifice to get the child. I mean, it's just, and it's, it's so, it's, it's so clever. Well, maybe they're really magic. Who knows? You know? (laughs) Let's justify this. Let's just. Give them to him, and who knows what's going to happen? At least you'll have five beans to eat. Like, yeah. oh, it's great! It, it, it's, it's a great parent justification that all parents do at certain points to justify an action to a child. 
And the other thing I like about this is it puts her in a position of intelligent power. And, you know, the women in this play are very, very wily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Intelligent, right? Mm -hmm. And they, yes. they use that. Um, they use it. And it, it's great. And she's she's trying to convince him. And he's like, go home. <laughs> Get out of here. Right? Yeah. And it's it's fascinating to me too that um oftentimes uh they say this in like movie making and stuff which is like if you are hired on as an actor for a character that has like a first name and last name okay there's gonna be some deep backstory here if it only has a first name well, you might have a little bit to work with but then there's those times where it's like you're a chiropractor or you're blank it's like okay well i guess i'm an occupation um, but this is like the the story that like subverts that expectation where like it's the baker and the baker's wife. They don't even have names in, no. in this play. But here there's some of more some of the most deeply realized characters in musical mm -hmm. theater. Like there's a there is deepness to these two. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I have two totally different songs from my last two. Mm -hmm. Uh first up is Last Midnight. Last midnight. So goodbye. Coming at you fast midnight Soon you'll see the sky fall Here you want a bean Have another bean Beans were made for making you rich Plant them and they soar Here you want some more Listen to the roar Giants by the score Well, you can blame another witch Because mm -hmm. it, it is the 11 o'clock number to end 11 o'clock numbers Yeah like, it's so good and it kills me every time because it just builds and builds and builds and builds and as you're building in this song the you're agreeing more and more with the witch where it's just it just goes and goes and goes and you feel her pain and her anger throughout this whole song and she and, and you realize how valid her argument is and you see these heroic characters like Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood, and Jack, uh, who are supposedly heroic, but really she goes, screw you guys. You're worse than anything I've dealt with because you play nice. You're not well, good, I think, you're not yeah. bad, you're just nice. You're so nice. You're not good, you're not bad, you're just nice. I'm not good, I'm not nice, I'm just right. I'm the witch, you're the world. I'm the hitch, I'm what no one believes. I'm the witch, you're all liars and thieves. Like his father, like his son will be too. Just nice. I mean, that is the that is the line that I think has stayed with me the most throughout my entire mm -hmm. life. Because I re I return back to it all the time, which is I think this is really the which yes being an outsider, but really calling out society as a whole. Which is like, yes. oh, yeah, you're not good. You're not that. But then she turns that back around. I'm not good. I'm not going to pretend that. I'm, yes. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not good. I'm not bad. I'm just right. You're just right. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I'm not good. I'm not nice. I'm just right. Yeah. Um, I'm the witch. You're the world. It's it's easy to justify that probably with with um, mm -hmm. with history and stuff like that, but you've seen that happen occasionally, which is like I'm setting up for the the right decision, even where everybody else is against me. Yeah, um, and I'm going to be looked at as a pariah of society, but mm -hmm. like that's just what <laughs> I have to do. Yes, 
Yeah, and on top of that, she points out how we all love to play the blame game. Right. Nobody yeah. ever wants responsibility. I mean, what is Trump's go-to move every time? He plays the blame game. It's China's fault for the virus. It's not my fault for not being prepared and not taking it seriously. No, it's China's fault for bringing the virus. Totally wrong way to go about it. Or it's Obama's fault for the way the country was when I got into office. But I, it's this thing yeah, of blame. I, I, and, she go, and she goes, you're human. Like, that's all you do. You want to pass the buck mm-hmm. and just place the blame on someone and find a scapegoat. Because that's what, as humans, we do all the time to fix our problems is we have to find that group of people, that person that we can go, you, you're our collective problem we got to fix. Bye. You're the witch. Look at that statement mm-hmm. and look at our recent conversation about a musical coming up. Yes. And this is why we can't change because yeah. everyone is so nice. You're so mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Let's just cover that up with a nice band-aid mm-hmm. and we'll move on. We yes. won't deal with the, the festering infection that's underneath the band-aid. Mm-hmm. But the witch is there to do that. Yes. She is a change maker. She's a shit disturber. God bless her. Well, she and she, she is a change maker, but she chooses suicide at the end. She chooses to not fix the problem, but she chooses to get away. She goes, screw the world. I'm not going to fix this issue because I can't. And she throws the beans and poofs herself out of there. Has the massive existential <laughs> crisis. Yeah. And mm-hmm. decides it's too much. Yeah. I- you know, mm-hmm. it's understandable. It is. It totally is. So yeah, Last Midnight, that was my number two. What What was her other choice? What is her other choice? She doesn't have any other choice. She's lost her daughter. She's lost her family. Yeah. The only she's thing she could really do is take Jack by force, because that's what she's trying it's to do, true. right? It's, it's true. So she could, but she doesn't want to do that. I don't think she yeah. has. Like, I, <laughs> this has to be a choice that we all come together and yeah. decide. Well, to her, do. well. We, she's a mother so part yeah. of her as much as she wants to kill jack because she's angry and hurt and she's sure. practical she can't do it and i don't think i've ever seen that played where she tries to get jack and it's her choice to let him go and mm-hmm. do the, i can't do it like a lot of times like that uh, 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 the, but we could always give her the boy no no what really matters is the blame and then it goes into that but like that give her the boy no no moment i don't think i've ever seen it played that way and i think that's more fascinating Kyle. that's a really good mm-hmm. point that you miss that this is the mother speaking and that she kind of has to stop herself from doing this act that she knows is wrong they get in her head yeah and she knows to stay there mm-hmm. to stay in this world mm-hmm. she's going to have to settle yes <laughs> oh there we go we're getting deep here people bummer Bummer. But let's get on, but let's head to a lighter note with my third choice. Yes. You know, Autumn, mm-hmm. I always need some shtick in my choices. Agony. And so, yeah, agony. Agony is different for each. Always ten steps behind. Always ten feet below. And she's just out of reach. Agony that can cut like a knife. Must have her to wife. Which one? Oh, the both. Okay, both of them. They have to go together because they play off each other. Yeah. 
the first, because it's interesting, the first version in Act One plays against type because we've had all these other fairy tale songs that are these deep intellectual songs about about internalizing and figuring things out and learning lessons. And the princes are like, I just want a girl. <laughs> That's all I'm going for. But they're figuring things out in their own entitled way. They are, but the figuring thing doesn't come till act two when you get to the reprise and they start cheating. That's fine, but what who they are in Act One for that for them that's a big deal. Like, of course. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, the song itself brings up great questions. Like, like, like what do they have here? Where, where they go? Uh, I'm everything somebody could wish for, yet I can't get this person. Well, they must be crazy. Like, right. who runs away from from this opportunity? Or, 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 or. or, or yeah, the fact that you have these uh, these concepts. It's called these- male privilege. The song. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. But at the same time, we all fall into that trap at times. But uh, but you can't judge them, right? No. That's all they know, and they're like agony. You know, it's like yes. I what's wrong with me? And then yeah. interesting because they have a little inkling of self doubt, mm-hmm. which comes back in us. But that's exactly. exciting, and that gives them a little bit of nuance. Yes, for princes. Well, exactly. Like you have this little bit of self doubt of uh, Cinderella's prince trying to figure out why is she running, what have I done to her, and then in Act Two, when he can't live with this happiness that he's gotten with with one person, he then has to go find this other this other maiden to kind of fill the void of this lost adventure that he's had. But more is all he's known, all they've ever known. Like they can't be happy with what they have. They have exactly. that. It's almost because like they are in a fairy tale. I'm a prince who goes mm-hmm. off, saves a woman and is instantly happy for the rest of my life, but I'm not. So now what? My <laughs> exactly. Long. Yeah. Exactly. The, the only well, thing I'll say, I mean, two things. One, mm-hmm. I think this shows like how funny Sondheim can often be. Oh, uh, yeah. But secondly to that, this is like just a very, so, such a minor criticism. Because I love mm-hmm. Agony and the reprise. But I think as funny as it can be on the recording, it's even better if you can actually see this performed. Because yes. the, the staging of this is usually when you get like the jokes that really hit. Correct. I mean, Chris Pine and Billy Magnuson do a great rendition of this at the waterfall. It's the best part of that whole movie of them ripping their shirts open playing right right full-on bravado with each other and the fact they cut the reprise kills me because personally i love the reprise more than i like the first version because this reprise has so much more jokes in it like the yeah. idea about being afraid of blood and the fact this other the other chris is afraid of dwarfs dwarfs mm-hmm. yeah right. dwarfs are very upsetting <laughs> Skin white as snow. Did you learn her name? No, there's a dwarf standing guard. Agony, such that princes must weep. Oh, 
always enthralled to anything, almost or something asleep. If it were not for the thicket, a thicket's no trick, is it thick? It's the thickest, the quickest is pick it apart with a stick. Yes, but even one prick, it's my thing about blood. Well, it's sick, it's no sicker than your thing with dwarfs. Dwarfs, dwarfs are very upsetting. Yeah. It just goes. Like in Sonic, you're it's Sonic with so many great fairy tale jokes in here. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's it. very good. So I love Eddie. I want to play the princess. That's one of my roles. Perfect. I would both of them at once. I could do that, Alan. You know I could. Why not? Yeah, that's great. Okay. Hey. Now we're into the top three songs we either skip or would remove. Do you guys have any that you would want to skip or remove? I do, because there's a couple that I do skip, but these are okay. The only reason is I find these more incidental songs, or is what yes. uh, Richard Rogers, what did he call them? Fundamentals or something like that, I think is what mm -hmm. he called. It's like, sometimes you have to write a song for me. You need a song. Yes. Um, do you want me to give you all three, or do you want me to go one by one? Uh, go one by one for now. Okay. So, uh, in no particular order, I have uh, I Guess This Is Goodbye. I guess this is goodbye, old pal. You've been a perfect friend. I hate to see us part, old pal. Someday I'll buy you back. I'll see you soon again. I hope that when I do, it won't be on a plate. Not on my list, but yeah, it, it, it's a it's a song with a cow. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not bad. It no, has it's a great little joke in it, but it's like I'm not gonna go to this to listen to uh, yeah. out of the whole score. Yes, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about, what's, the, what's your next one? For me? Yes. Uh, so I might get pushed back on, on this one. Ooh. I don't know. I, I've never been a huge fan of Cinderella at the Grave. So like the second song. I've been good and I've been kind, mother, doing only what I learned from you. Why then am I left behind, mother? Is there something more that I should do? What is wrong with me, mother? Something must be wrong. I wish. Do you know what you wish? Are you certain what you wish is what you want? If you know what you want, then make a wish. Ask the tree, and you shall have your wish. She's, you know, singing through her tree, mother. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that one there, once again, you need it for plot, there. but it's like, you can yeah. skip ahead a bit. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And your third. And my third one is A Very Nice Prince. He's a very nice prince, and, and, it's a very nice ball, and, and, when I entered they trumpeted, and, the prince, oh the prince, yes the prince, well he's tall, is that all, did you dance, is he charming, they say that he's charming, we did nothing but dance, interesting, <laughs> yeah, song. yeah, which is, I like, um, it's the, oh my god, you just mentioned it in your favorites, because uh, 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 right after that one is the baker and the wife uh, oh, talking about. It, it takes two. It take no. It's the first one about. Uh, and maybe oh, really magic. the lies. Yeah, yeah, and maybe they're really magic. Yeah. So I like that part, um, but yeah, mm -hmm. very yeah. Anyway, so those are just, just my three. Again, not outright bad. It's just like mm -hmm. they're short. I think none of these are like longer than a minute and a half, but yes, <laughs> they're they're just kind of there for me. Uh, yeah. And then everything else, because I couldn't think of any other song I would actually skip on this recording. Yeah. It's like, I'm there for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, uh, I have two. Okay. So first one is Giants in the Sky. 
Giants in the sky. There are big, tall, terrible, awesome, scary, wonderful giants in the sky. Uh-huh. Why? Why that song? Because, because out of all the Act One fairy tale character songs, like you have Little Reds, Cinderellas, and Jacks. Those are kind of the three yeah. that you got. Out of all of them, I think Giants in, Giants in the Sky is the weakest because it doesn't get the psychological deepness that the other two. Yes, get. it does. No, how can I disagree? That? I, hey, I did. I learned this song for singing lessons, so I've explored it, and I just find that like Little Red's discovery in her song is tremendous. Or Cinderella's choice to leave the slipper, fantastic. That's a great exploration in To Be or Not to Be. Moment, Jax is like, okay, I went up to the sky, I came back. No! <laughs> like, sure, it's great to be back home on the ground again, but it's, it's not the same. Like, it should be a song about, like, I just had to kill my first person. I just had to kill a giant, or I just made this choice to steal. Like, that's I don't know, what you should be exploring there, not, I had I don't an know, adventure. That song, that song to me has always been more about, like, how do you return to normalcy when something fantastic mm-hmm. or crazy has happened to you? Um, and, if, and again, there's great modern equivalence to this like when something yeah. like say uh COVID-19 happens to you which is like this huge disruption mm-hmm. to your life it's like how do you go back to normal yeah. how do you just go back to your mother sweeping the floor because yeah I know what like this craziness was before and now yeah. I'm trying to act normal again like it's just yeah it's hard he, it's a new it normal for him and he starts to a appreciate the world that he came from which is really big. That is a huge learning curve. But he's also he's also transcended his class. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is the lesson in right. Giants in the Sky. That is about transcendence into a different class with the golden eggs. I've seen how the other half lives yeah. <laughs> kind of thing, right? Yeah. And I went, I want I want it all. Mm-hmm. He in essence, has become a capitalist. <laughs> that is a reading I've never thought of before, Autumn, but I like that. That is that is giving me new appreciation for it. He's lived so. he's he's been held to giant breasts and what is that like to go to galas and yeah. sit amongst kings. Yes. And then come back and look at your humble upbringing and go, Oh, this is nice. Yeah. Oh, Down yeah. with the bourgeoisie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. How can I how can I successfully achieve both of these things? Mm-hmm. I know with my golden pen I'll buy lots of villages and make everyone happy. True. And make money Fair off of the landlord. <laughs> it's a turning Fair enough. point. Fair enough. You know, once you explained it that way, Autumn, I am reconsidering. Fine. So good job on you. Now I know this one's gonna get probably a lot of hate for this, but no one is alone. No one is alone. People make mistakes. Fathers 
Because where it is right now, you've had your fault last midnight, no more. You're building up to the attack on the giant. You're building towards the finale, and then you come to this grinding pace, out of pace, halt with this song. It's the waiting. You need the song. I love the song. (laughs) You need the song. For me, every time I've watched it, it just grinds the show to this halt where I'm like, you've had a little momentum, you're building, you're building. If anything, I would move this song and put it before No More. And you'd have to rework some lyrics and you have the song end with the baker running off into the woods. But you have this song as, as a moment to reflect after the witch is gone and everybody reflecting on what she said. Because if Sondheim's whole point of the song is to show action reaction. The best time to have that is right after the witches called them on all this versus having Last Midnight No More of this great ballad there. Because having these two ballads right after each other like this kind of cancels them out. It doesn't make it cohesive anymore. It makes it very clunky at the end. Where, 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 where you're, when you're getting to this final action beat of the story, you don't want to trip it up. Like, Jack doesn't stop before he chops down the beanstalk and have a moment in his story. Like, it's he chops down the beanstalk. Hmm? It's, uh, it's, he's a supporting character. This is the Baker story. Yeah, it's a big... But what my point is, is that, is that in your final climactic action beat of the story, you don't stop and have a monologue. You have the monologue afterward, like you do with Children Will Listen, and you have it before the final action. Not right in the middle of this final action beat. So for me, I go. You need to remove it to some, like move it a little bit earlier to make the to make it better, because right now it kind of throws the pacing of that bit last bit off. In my opinion, that's just me. I mean, I still love the song. I mean, I sang it at Kiwanis. I think it's beautiful. Uh, it's a gorgeous. Angel Lansbury sang it at the nine eleven memorial, mm. uh, and it's beautiful. Like it's yeah. a beautiful, well written song. I just think it needs to be reworked and put into a new spot. Because it does have a point to say. I just don't think it in, in its current spot fits right I, now. I often find, this is me being so general, but I often find online or even in memorials when people mm-hmm. use the song, mm-hmm. I think they miss the point of what the song is trying to say. Well, yeah. Which is like, it's not trying to say no one is alone, so feel good that like mm-hmm. when you say a point of view that people are going to support yeah. you. That's part one. But mm-hmm. part two is like also realize that the opposition they are also not alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when you stand up for something, be aware that it's not just going to be one person you have to face, it's multiple. Yes. Um, and, and you have to contend with that because no one literally is alone. Um, and, and so you have to, to work with that. This is why I also think that it doesn't work when only one person sings it. Hot take. Oh, but yeah. um, when I hear people sing this song just by themselves as a ballad, I'm like, no, this has to be a call and response. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, I, as much as I love Bernadette Peters, mm-hmm. it's solo version. You need everybody playing a part in this song. That's why the four-part harmony Which version. Which is 
which it's is so weird because this is going to sound weird out of context. But if you don't know, there was, um, I think, a really good album called uh, Losing My Mind, a Cisco, sorry, a Sondheim Disco Fever Dream that came out here earlier in the year. So it's basically yes, like I heard about Sondheim's this. music into uh, disco hits. And they keep it as a call and response in, in the version of yeah. the song that they use. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's actually one of my favorite versions of the songs. I think they do it really, really well. Ooh, okay. We'll definitely include a clip of it in here sure. for people to hear. No one is alone. Truly, no one is alone. No one is Sometimes people I disagree. I think it needs to be exactly where it is. It is the waiting. It is the waiting. You you figure out what's going on with the baker, and that just strengthens his resolve mm-hmm. to, to do something. But this is a moment where they're being reflective and going, I, I'm going to, we have to do this. I'm going to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, think about that. They're going to kill something. They're, it's not just Oh, we're gonna trip them, you know. It's yeah, you have to kill somebody. But it it's like it's not just marching in there and saying like a hand at the level of your eyes, right? It's a yes. uh, <laughs> they. This is a big deal that they are about yeah. to do something really momentous. Yeah. And it's you know it's murder. Mm-hmm. It's murder, mm-hmm. and it's it's big. It's big and. If you look at the giant, the giant could sing this song and be like, well, they're not on my side. Yeah. They killed my husband and stole from me. Yeah. We don't she get has valid points against Jack. Like the, <laughs> the, the giant has. I mean, that's the thing about this, this show, which is I don't necessarily think anyone is in quote unquote the wrong necessarily. They do a really good job of showcasing. Hey, there is. Um, actions and reactions that happen all throughout this and yes mm-hmm. the, i guess on your point of view there is a antagonist protagonist but at the same time it's like jack made a decision to climb that beanstalk and to steal something yep. and that decision led to the death of someone's husband so he has to rue the fact that someone wants revenge on him because if he yep. made that choice mm-hmm. uh, which is why again we go back to the people blaming each other they're kind of all wrong and right at the same time yes, yes. it is everyone's fault but it's not one person's fault either. It's everybody's yeah, fault. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to own up to the decisions that you make in life. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's still a great song. I just think you can mm-hmm. move, be moved a little bit different. I mean, you're anyway. wrong, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's someone out on the Ethernet who agrees with me. Um, either way, there yeah. we go. We'll see. We'll see. Let us know in the comments, everybody. Uh, but there we go. That is all our songs. Kyle, should this musical be revived? Does it still have a place today? I think it's always going to have a place in our society. Yes, it is the e- easiest one for Sondheim's uh, catalog to be revived. I think there's just an easier in uh, rather than be like, why don't we talk about people back in the 1970s talking about the Follies, which like no one has any context for anymore. Um, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's great stuff, but this yeah. is the easiest one to get into Sondheim with. Yes. I would like to see it revived. Um, but I, when you talked about that revival that uh, they did at Stratford here in Canada, 
Mm-hmm. That is more interesting to me. I think that if you're going to revive a show, that you should try to do something alternate or different or yep. try and bring something a little bit uh, updated to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never been a huge, I've never really understood it, why people revive something and just keep like all the same choreography, all the same sets, all the same something. It's like, mm-hmm. that doesn't interest me as much as being like, let's try and do something really remarkable. So I don't know what that would be necessarily, but I think absolutely. Oh, I have ideas. Don't worry Okay, great. I if think, I do uh, it, you'll, you'll come in and see it. <laughs> It'll fly you in from Alberta. Oh, great. I look forward to it. Um, I would be afford, though, if they did like a Muppet version on Broadway. Why not do it? There, there, were, there were plans for a Muppet version of Into the yeah. Woods in the 90s. Jim Henson was working on it. And I think that they could uh, probably it'll be another 20 years from now. But I think they could do a movie version that would work. I've actually been thinking about yes. that more so. Which is, I think, I don't necessarily think you need a narrator, but I do think you need a framing device so that you can subvert it in that act too, where we break it out uh, yes. and kill that person off, whoever forms that that type of character. Um, anyways, I have a lot to say about a film version of this that I think could actually work. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Autumn. Don't pitch it to Tom Hooper or Rob Marshall. <laughs> right. <laughs> Autumn, though, revive, yay or nay? Yeah. One thousand percent. Why wouldn't we? It is a it is a beautiful piece. It's like this would be like saying, should we do Shakespeare? Yes, we should. We what is great is about about this is it's it's set in fairy tales. So you can do anything casting wise with it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is exciting and still be genuine with it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I think this one will this one will stand up to the mark of time because mm-hmm. it's moral tales it's yeah. people in the human condition in conflict in their human condition mm-hmm. uh working through arguments and i think that that's the brilliance of it mm-hmm. and it is this is what this is the musical for me that really sets sondheim as the shakespeare because it's yes. so smart and his work with lapine is like they they are a great combo indeed um to to that point something i I just want to say before we end off with this here today Mm -hmm. that i always found fascinating because this comes uh really at the end of i think sondheim's might because Mm -hmm. this song sorry this if this show is about hope just in general (laughs) ideas it is so fascinating to me that his very next show is Assassins, which is from it was about the loss of hope, and to those to bookend each other in like two or three years, separated yeah. from each other, I think is fascinating to think about. Um, and yes, there's other shows that Sondheim would work on, but that that is really at the end of his like high high output, I would say. Yes, it's kind of like his ultimate comedy and his ultimate tragedy. Yeah, it's really interesting. That's what happened sequentially. Uh yeah. yeah, Assassins is my my other favorite. Mm-hmm. I, I we we're getting to Assassins. Don't you worry. Uh, I'll say for me though, yes, revive it. It is by far Sondheim Lapine's best book. It's just one that should be studied just for like story and structure purposes. No matter if you're screenwriting or playwriting or musical writing, it's so smart. The themes and concepts are universal, and they need to. Be, people need reminding about the whole concept of consequences and actions, parents and children relationships, all these things that Sondheim and Lapine were going after with this. 
we need reminding of that because if because we oftentimes we forget in our busy hustle bustle world that we live in about the little things like that like children are listening or it takes a community for us to get through a problem like covid we all are in this game we all are having to fight this giant aka covid that's that's the revival the the woods are just this post-apocalyptic landscape that's been Ah, ravaged it's that by a pandemic yes people walking around it love it um but there we go yeah i think this is definitely the show to do it also says that children are not to be underestimated right yes and i think that is a crucial theme to to mention the children not only listen but should be listened to which is actually why i love that idea of that one production that had a child as the narrator i actually really like that idea that's a really fascinating way to to play with that yeah yeah there's a recording of it on broadway hd Mm -hmm. um and there's and and there's the one i sent you as well that's the bootleg from central park Mm. with amy adams and yeah they did yeah basically the, the the bookends is that it starts with the parent the parents and children fighting Kid runs off into the woods, runs away, and creates this fairy tale in the woods to help him cope. And then at the end, the baker comes back as the father from the fight at the beginning and takes the child home. I was going to say it it would work really well if the child was the product of the baker and the baker's wife. It's inferred that that is kind of what what he did. Yeah. Yeah. Bumped. That'd be great. Exactly. But yeah, there we go. Okay. So thank you, everybody. Season three is now opened. Our, 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 our survey is still up and running. So be sure to go check that out. Link in the bio. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what you think. But thank you so much all for listening. Thank you once again to our wonderful theme music composer, Mr. Brody Weld, who wrote our theme music and has many, hip, many of his hip hop and music tracks out there on Apple Music, Spotify, Bandcamp, all those locations. So be sure to check it out, especially my favorite track of his, Home Decor, which is a rap about household furniture of all things. It's great. Kyle, where can people find you and where can they find your podcast? Because uh, you, they need to listen to yours. Like if they listen to ours, they got to go listen to yours. <laughs> Well, thank you. Uh, yes, uh, putting it together is what the podcast is called. So you can search that on anywhere, on any place you get podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also see me on Twitter or Instagram at Sondheim Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you want to just follow me, I'm at the Kyle Marshall on Twitter. Beautiful, perfect. Well, we definitely will all be doing that because this was great. We're definitely going to have you come back and talk more Sondheim with us because you have a plethora of things to say. I have opinions. Yeah. <laughs> we like it we do we really do autumn where can they find you all the places autumn dm smith mm-hmm. or the company name littlewoodsmith.com facebook instagram check it out we we do things yep yeah uh, you can find me on also on all social media platforms at mckenzie horner look for the ginger haired guy Check out Autumn and I's work on the Cup of Hemlock theater site because she's been featured on a whole bunch of stuff we've been doing. Uh, And stay tuned for more great things for uh, season three. We have a Christmas episode coming up next, right before the Christmas holidays. Uh, My hint is that Kelsey Grammer did the film version of this. Oh, ho, ho. Kelsey Grammer. Check it out. Uh, Other than that, thank you everybody for listening and we will see you all next time for our next episode of 
before the downbeat, a musical podcast. Into the woods and out of the woods and home before dark. I wish. Into the woods you have to go, but that's the way you learn to go. Into the woods to find yourself, but getting through the journey. Into the woods each time you go, 